I'm your host, David Nage. This is Baselayer, where institutional investors come to learn about crypto. The views, information, or opinions expressed during the Baselayer podcast series are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of ARCA, where David Nage is a principal. ARCA is not responsible and does not verify the accuracy of any of the information contained in the podcast series available for listening. The primary purpose of this podcast series is to educate and inform. The podcast series does not constitute financial advice or other professional advice or services. Please do your own research. This is David, and this is your new episode of Base Layer. Buckle up. It's been five years plus. I had Anatoly on the show back in December of 2018 talking about Solana. And my God, Solana has become probably one of the biggest things in the entire world of crypto. I have Austin Federer with me, the head of strategy at the Solana Foundation. Austin, how are you? Good. How are you? I am fantastic. Five years, Austin. Five years. Wild. I know. And no one knew what I was talking about. You know, what's Solana? Oh, you know, I know I've heard about Bitcoin. I've heard about Ethereum. What's Solana? And everyone thought I was crazy. Some guy that came out of Qualcomm that was trying to design a new fast, you know, throughput and you know, blockchain. And everyone was like, okay, why do we need that? Obviously we do. So we're going to talk about a lot of different things here in a very quick period of time because everyone is busy and everyone's on their treadmill or listening to me on their bike, hopefully trying to be healthy in the new year. So we're going to talk about a little bit of the past. And then we're going to talk a little bit about the future. And actually, we're going to talk a lot about the present because, you know, over the last few months, everyone, even my mother has texted me about Solana. Um, And so we're going to talk about a lot of those different things. But what I would love to do, again, I'm not going to go into a one-on-one about Solana. You know, if you don't know about it, you can listen to the show five years ago. Gave you a little bit of a preview of that. There is a ton of information about Solana, and obviously we'll post that in the show notes, you know, for you guys to look into. So we're not going to talk about the intricacies of Solana, you know, the type of consensus models, all the types of things that I would normally do, you know, if we've never had someone on the show before. So we're going to go right into it. Uh, But again, there's lots of reference notes for people to learn about Solana if you don't know about Solana. One of the things I wanted to talk to Austin about is over the course of the last 11 so months right now, Solana has posted 100% uptime in terms of you know what they're doing there, which is phenomenal. Now, one of the things that I wanted to talk to him about is that prior to that, and Anatoly was very open and vocal about this, Solana was effectively in beta. It was something that was being experimented on. You had people validating to the, you know the nodes and to obviously to the L1. It was still a work in progress, but obviously in the world that we live in, you have a work in progress and you throw it out into the wild anyway, and everyone tries to play with it and tries to do things with it. And that's just the nature of crypto. But I want to talk a little bit before that 11 months that you've had this wonderful 100% uptime period, which is phenomenal. I want to talk a little bit about what happened before that, some of the learnings that you all had there, and how did you effectively write the ship to get to this point right now? Yeah, I think if you go back to September of 2021, that was sort of when Solana started getting a huge amount of attention from uh, different types of sources, right? Uh, Up to that period, the main usage of the network had been DeFi. 
And this is sort of the original, you know, Anatoly and the other co-founders vision for the network was literally blockchain at NASDAQ speed. That's what the pitch deck said back in you know, 2018. And I think something like it took 75 pitches for them to get a single yes from anyone on investing in the project in the early days. This was not a consensus bet by any means. But, you know, you fast forward to September of 21, and the network is being used for a whole bunch of new types of use cases. And one of those main use cases was NFTs. Um, I was part of the team that built Metaplex back out in the early days, which became sort of the default NFT standard on the Solana network. And this brought an entirely new type of transaction, both more complicated transactions for NFT mints, but also now very contested transactions. There was a real incentive, you know, if there's a 10,000 drop, you want to make sure you can land your transactions before other people to make sure that you get to mint that specific NFT. And that was sort of a use case that the initial network design didn't really take into account. And so that created systems where uh, you would have, you know, queues overflowing, you would basically have the network grinding to a halt because people were spamming the network with, I mean, no joke, 80 gigabytes per second of data to try and land an NFT mint on something they thought was going to be, you know, a $20,000 monkey. And so that was really the, the the technological piece that was a different use case that sort of put a lot of stress on the network. And so over the next two years, and it really was a two-year endeavor, uh, engineers from Solana Labs, from Solana Foundation, from all these different core contributors around the network focused on resilience and reliability. And there were a few sort of pretty fundamental technology changes that were put in place to sort of address some of these. And one of those is Quick, which is a new networking technology, the introduction of local fee markets. So local fee markets are not global fee markets like you see in Bitcoin and Ethereum. These are application-specific or piece-of-state-specific fee markets. So the fees to mint an NFT, like one specific NFT, might spike but that will have no impact on the cost of sending, you know, a Solana Pay transaction or something, or using a DeFi protocol, something like that. And then the last one is stake-weighted QoS, which is a method of, uh, in periods of congestion, basically saying transactions that are coming from stake-weighted validators will be processed before transactions that are not. And so all these three pieces of technology that were sort of shipped to the network enabled new types of protections for both validators and network operators to keep the network up and resilient. Addition to that, there's a ton of just small performance improvements that have gone on under the scene, many of which have been unnoticed. You know, one of them is the the accounts DB got a total rewrite, and that has taken that project from something that had to keep all the accounts in RAM to something now that can store them on NVMe, and that's mm-hmm. you know about 10 times cheaper from a validator operator perspective. Right. So there's all of these different um, software components that have been improved over the last two years to get the network to the place that it is today. I think it's also fair to say, and that is a fantastic rundown of that, is that you don't get better unless you have, usually, you know, if you had some sort of a issue or some sort of a stumbling block or some sort of a, you know, you hit a wall of some sorts, you don't learn you know, if all of a sudden you're you come out of the gate and you're perfect and you have tons of success and you've never had run into an issue. Usually when you actually do, then you're not necessarily ready for the next evolution. And so it's fair to say that obviously the battle testing that you guys had to do and obviously, you know, when those events happened and I remember them very specifically yes. when they happened. You know, it was obviously all hands on deck. And I know that there was a lot of thought 
a lot of innovative thinking that obviously has led to this point right now. And again, I just want to celebrate it. 11 months, 100% of time. It's fantastic for you guys. So I want to jump into, again, some of the, the kind of the present, and we'll yeah. talk about the future. And the present is obviously Saga 1, because now the Saga 2 is coming out. Now, I've been able to test this out for a number of months, and I have to say, you know, for those that don't know about this, again, we'll obviously provide linkages to this. It is a phone that has a workable blockchain in it, and it is embedded into it. Now, I know that Anatoly and Raj, but Anatoly specifically came from the world of mobile. You know, talk to us about how long it took to get the saga ready for delivery, because I know it wasn't a overnight thing. It took a while. When did you guys start to really think about it? Yeah, so I would say <clears throat> Tolly is one of those people that will walk around the office with lots of ideas all the time. And so the idea of the saga was probably kicking around in his head since 2020. Uh, when it really became something that was a project that was staffed and folks were working on was about a year and a half to before the phone actually was released. And that's because hardware manufacturing takes a really long time. But there was always this idea that in order for crypto to really be successful, to really be something that's part of our daily lives, it has to go mobile. And not in the mobile sense of like there's a Ledger app and a Coinbase app, but mm. mobile in the sense of like we are building communities, we're building experiences, we are interacting with things, we're paying for things through our mobile phone, the same way that the mobile phone is largely the portal for Web2 social media, Web2 payments, et cetera, right? And so the biggest barrier to that is the duopoly of Apple and Google. Amen. And this is one of those moments where, uh, you know, you can look back and be like, oh, totally saw the writing on the wall. But like, and it's very easy to sort of say something like that. But at yeah. the time, there was really no one talking about the ability to crack the duopoly. A lot of people were complaining about it. A lot of people were sort of attempting to, you know, call out how bad this 30% app store fee is from Apple and, you know, the policies from Google, which are pretty similar from that regard and put developers in a really bad spot. And the most famous person doing this is, of course, Tim Sweeney and Epic. And most people thought Epic was going to lose categorically lose. I think most people also thought that uh, it was impossible to break these these duopolies now. And so, you know, the, the vision of Solana Mobile was never to build a crypto phone. It was to bring crypto to mobile. It turns out the only way you can do that in a duopoly is to create an alternative hardware platform. But, you know, the goal was never, I mean, building a phone is very hard. Um, and there's a team at Awesome, which OSOM, which is the company that actually built all the hardware and designed all the hardware that, you know, without them, this project would not have been possible. But it's really important also to remember that, like, the goal here is not that everyone buys a Saga phone. It's that this is a platform and a piece of technology that proves out the use case for all these other OEM manufacturers to take this open source thing called the Solana mobile stack and build it into the Galaxy phones, build it into Huawei's phones, build it into the Google Pixels, and really start building a crypto-first ecosystem on iOS and Android. I have to say, you know, obviously I've been, you know, retweeting, and I've been obviously, you know, kind of attaching myself to some of Tolly's tweets on that. We were following the Digital Markets Act. For those that don't know, there was uh, the Digital Markets Act that was effectively yep. put into place, you know, recently took a few years to get to that point. 
through legislation in the EU. And that basically stated that Apple and Google could no longer prohibit third-party applications from their phones there. Now, of course, Apple and Google have fought that tooth and nail here in the United States, so it has not effectively registered here in the U.S., but it did in the EU. And me and many others, I'm sure totally as well as many of you there, thought that this was a starting point. We were going to come to a point where, okay, the gates are down. We were going to have some freedom now. And for those that don't know, Apple has made it very punitive, effectively, uh, and restrictive over the course of the last week or so uh, to really embrace that new freedom because they don't want it. Yeah, in some in some areas, in some not as much, right? Like, I think mm-hmm. it's so the, the model Apple has been working on, as far as I've understood, is they're going to start taxing you for installs yep. as opposed to in-app payments. Yep. And I think this is actually one of the rare cases where this is not going to be a barrier in crypto in the same way. I think that this is this is certainly problematic if you're trying to run a social media network that's not going to be distributed through the App Store for whatever reason. But I actually think this is a great use case for crypto because most people who are doing things on blockchain are used to a financial component being attached to it. Like there's something about blockchain that is like reset our brains, right? Web2 taught us everything should always be free because it's monetized on the back end as right. your data, your ads, all that nasty stuff that goes with it. But in Web3, I mean, folks are very comfortable paying $20 to transact on Ethereum. And, you know, they're very comfortable paying, obviously, much less than that to transact on Solana. But there's a, you know, if the price is a really strong uh, motivator for product market fit. And so I think the applications that are going to be built on iOS in this new open framework in the EU yeah, we're probably not going to see decentralized social media like Farcaster take off anytime soon just because of the the pricing models. But this is a boon for DeFi applications. This is a yeah. boon for anyone who's actually building applications that have revenue models that, you know, work great for users that, you know, I, I think there's actually a lot more openness there, specifically around the Web3 implementation that folks are thinking of. Someone like Magic Eden or OpenSea. This mm-hmm. is this is this is a huge win for them, right? Yeah. Adding a fifty cent one time a year tax to your first NFT transaction is minimal for them to get access to that kind of a market. All right. Now I'm going to shift gears a little bit, and this is going to be a little bit funny for people that are listening. But again, for Austin, for those that are deeply embedded into the Solana ecosystem, you know all about this. But one of the things that I was taking about, and one of the things I wrote a little bit about, I think uh, there's some writing online about that possibly is when I started to really experiment and when Bonk came out, now I will credit Joe McCann for that. You know, he was evangelizing it all over the place. And Joe, you did a great job with that. But when I started looking at Bonk, and Bonk, for those who don't know, uh, some call it a meme coin. You know, I don't actually think it is. I think actually the majority of people who are calling it a meme coin are undercutting what it actually is. Bonk is a digital asset. It is something that was airdropped for those that have Solana Saga phones. And one of the things that I found it completely compelling is that when you open up Bonk, it is an app store within the phone itself. It gives you access to DeFi applications, to gaming, to SocialFi. And effectively, you use Bonk to open up and to use those different things. Now, there's a game on Solana called Photo Finish. I could have used Bonk to actually, it's a horse racing game, which is taken off massively. I could have used Bonk to actually participate in that game. 
I could use Bonk in Jupiter, which is one of your biggest decks on Solana right now. It's interesting how the architecture of a digital asset that most people are laughing about is a meme coin. Now, I'm not saying laughing because it's obviously very serious, but most people consider it a meme coin. I think of it as like an app store key. It basically opens up a world of things that are happening on Solana. Now, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, people say meme coin in sort of a dismissive way. But like meme coins are proxies for community. Right. Right. No one gets excited about a meme coin that has no community behind it. That's just a scam coin. Right. It's like all coins, too. It's like all coins. Why do we keep calling these things these names? It's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. You know, but there's this like, I mean, the ultimate meme coin is Bitcoin. Right. Right. Bitcoin is no utility besides the social consensus that it is worth money and it is valuable. And that is the definition of a meme coin. Right. And that's great. Like Bitcoin is the world's most successful meme coin to ever have existed. But people don't think of it that way. They think of it as it's this transcended class of store of value. It's like, I don't know if Bitcoin's more of a store of value than Doge or Bonk or, you know, when or any other like token that's kind of out there that really has like a social cachet behind it. That's kind of a good thing, right? At the same time, I don't think you want base layer technology tokens to be meme coins. Like Solana, you know, it exists for civil resistance and to pay transaction fees on the network, right? Mm-hmm. It does not exist for the reason that Bonk exists or something like that. Um, but the team at Bonk has done an incredible job integrating that token into a whole bunch of different products and services across the Solana ecosystem and building stuff out themselves too. And, yeah. you know, at some point, like, you know, how do you define what the difference between a meme coin and a project is? I, I think it's pretty, it's it's a pretty hard thread to pull on and come up with a definition that doesn't feel like it's, um, you know, betraying one of the two. Right. So let's, as I said, we talked a little bit about the past. We talked a little bit, obviously, about the the present. And obviously, now we're going to talk a little bit about the future. And the current future is that obviously, you guys have sold out a ton of the, the Saga 2 phones. So for those that don't know, the Saga 1 came out, you know, comparable to other market, you know, phones in, in the space. It, obviously, this is a phase one, a kind of a rollout for them. It wasn't the cheapest yeah, phone think, in the world. I think we can be honest. The, the Saga 1 did not sell the numbers that, you know, folks at Solana Labs and myself and folks at Solana Mobile were hoping for initially. Right. And this is partially it launched in a bear market, right? Right, right as crypto was sort of like crashing down entirely. Yeah. And I think the other component, too, was the the pricing was on par with a lot of the flagship phones That's right. at the time. Uh, and, you know, there was reasons people thought it might not have been worth that. But what folks didn't take into account was all of the crypto features. And some yep. of those included airdrops and rewards and those sorts of things. So, yep. uh, you know, that that was sort of the inspiration for um, a second a second version of a device. Yep. And just as I'm hearing you talk about that, you know, one of the things that I want to make very clear to people is that when you have an if you have a, a Apple phone, if you have an Android phone, if you notice it when you, you know, for instance, Apple just released a new update, I think it's 17.1 or whatever it was, all of a sudden a few apps just popped up that they give you. Yeah. And how nice of them. I know. 
And what's interesting is that it, it, it this is not that similar to things that happen with airdrops and things that are happening within the crypto ecosystem is that, you know, you will get applications. And these things are applications. These things are software. The NFT itself, and we can talk about this forever, but the NFT for itself in, you know, one of the theses that we have is that it's a piece of software and that is becoming dynamic and that is becoming upgradable. And so if you have an NFT today that maybe gave you access to, you know, a concert or gave you access to, you know, some sort of a party, you hold it and those people behind that can actually upgrade it and give you access to other things too. And it's a continuous kind of connection. And so there's a lot of things happening here. But again, I'm keeping Austin on time here because he's very busy. And, you know, we're going to talk more about that another time in another place. But again, we want to talk about the future here. So the the Saga 2 has been selling fantastically well. Talk to us about what the future of Solana is for the next six to 12 months. And obviously, you know, it's a big part of that, what the Saga 2 is going to be a part of. Yeah, so the the first version of Saga and the current version of the, the next chapter 2 uh, is being built by Solana Mobile, which is its own actually independent company from the foundation. They spun out of Solana Labs. And so I'm, I'm excited for that project. I'm excited to see how they do. It's not something I'm directly involved in at this point myself, but there's a lot of great, great folks working on that. I think on the network level, one of the most impactful launches of 2024 actually just took place, which is the launch of token extensions on Solana. And token extensions are a new token program that is really designed to meet the needs of businesses and enterprises that are looking to build on blockchain and are currently looking at permissioned private environments instead of public blockchains. Solana is really the first network to bring this level of integrated developer and user experience to a public blockchain. Everything you can do on a private blockchain, you can now do on on the public network of Solana using token extensions. Now, there are still in some markets some regulatory hurdles to actually be able to to do that. But, you know, we have inbound from many, many organizations that are looking to say, can we tokenize, you know, a real estate fund? Can we tokenize X or Y or Z? not do it on some subnet or some private chain or some fork of a network, but actually do it on the Solana mainnet because token extensions give you that token level privilege and access controls that are necessary to build things that are, you know, registered in the United States as securities and to bring those onto a blockchain. So I think that's actually one of the most impactful launches and that literally just happened last week. Amazing. Yeah. So... Again, I could talk to Austin for the better part of a year here. And as I said, again, for those that are listening to us at a gym, on a treadmill, good for you. Keep it up. Don't just have it for the first month of the year. Hopefully, keep it up for the rest of the year. There's so much happening in Solana. And hopefully, we can have you back on again in a few months. Talk through some of the, obviously, the new innovations, the extensions that you just obviously alluded to is massive for you guys. I wanted everyone to hear kind of, you know, the growth, the growth story here. And obviously the growth story has been where, as I said, again, you have been battle tested and you have been put to the limits and you guys have obviously shown as a ecosystem, as a, as a group of validators out there that, you know, when you're pushed to the limits, you can push back and you obviously can continue and survive and sustain and grow. So we're going to talk to Austin again. You know, in a few months, Austin, thank you so much for coming on the show and we'll be back with you soon. Thanks for having me. 
Thanks for listening in to Baselayer. If you like the show and all the different guests that we've brought on, please give a like and subscribe on Apple or Spotify or wherever you do listen to the podcast. Also, if you want to have a conversation or reach out to me, you can reach me out on Twitter at David J. Nage. And let's talk there. Or also you can find me on LinkedIn. And I look forward to having great conversations with you all about digital assets.